Welcome to Vision of Zion. I'm Craig Perry, and with me is my guest, Sean White. Hello, Sean. Hi, Craig. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from you, too. Uh, About a week ago, we did some recordings, and now today we're trying to get through two or three chapters of Isaiah. We just did chapter 21. We hope the recording came through, or we'll do it again, and you'll never know the difference. Uh, Chapter 22 has been a uh, challenging chapter, to say the least. It hasn't, it, Sean? It has taken a lot of work. And there are a lot of notes here. I'll just point out that it is approximately 20, I think not approximately, but it's 25 verses long. And you do have a lot of notes on this. And we ask, uh, we we probably should have mentioned this before, but it might be a good idea to prayerfully prepare to listen to these podcasts uh, and to seek inspiration. I know Sean has worked very hard on understanding the meaning of these chapters and and also they have helped inform him about some of the things he has seen in his out-of-body experiences or as he calls his walk with the savior all right sean are you ready to go yeah this one has a long prelude we'll start here as isaiah as isaiah was given these visions he was shown them in segments from different viewpoints i can relate to this in my walk with the savior and subsequent other visions. They are not in chronological order for me. I often see things from standpoints around the world during the same time period, such as Isaiah was given. These chapters are mysteries. In the guide to the scriptures, they define the mysteries of God are spiritual truths known only by revelation. God reveals his mysteries to those who are obedient to the gospel, and some mysteries are yet to be revealed. I don't want you listeners to become discouraged in understanding Isaiah in the order to unlock the mysteries as we look at the scriptures. We, we must look to the scriptures, I'm sorry. <clears throat> in Alma 26, 22, Yea, he that repenteth and exercise faith and bringeth forth good works and prayeth continually without ceasing, unto such it is given to know the mysteries of God. Yea, unto such it will be given to reveal things which have never been revealed, and yet it shall be given unto such to bring thousands of souls to repentance, even as it has been given unto us to bring these our brethren to repentance. The one thing that I have learned is not all that Heavenly Father teaches us can be shared with others, such as let's look to DNC 4261. If thou shalt ask and receive revelation upon Revelation, knowledge upon knowledge, that thou mayest know the mysteries and the peaceable things, that which bringeth joy and that which bringeth eternal life. Behold, thou shalt observe all these things, and great shall be thy reward. For unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but in, uh, but unto the world it is not given to know them. My hope is that as you continue to listen to the podcast, you can take notes and take your questions to God for further light and knowledge on these subjects that we are discussing to see how the words of Isaiah can fit into your life and your stewardships. Here in this chapter, I will address these verses in the same paragraph structure which they are written in the Dead Sea Scrolls. We're looking at a time period when the king of Assyria has taken control of the United States. 
I will read verses 1 through 4 of Isaiah chapter 22. The burden of the valley of vision. What ails you now that you have all gone up to the housetops? You that are full of shouting, a tumultuous city, a joyous town. Your slain are not slain with the sword, neither are they dead in battle. All your rulers fled away together. They were bound by the archers. All who were found by you were bound together. They fled far away. Therefore, I said, look away from me, and I will weep bitterly. Don't labor to comfort me for the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Valley of Vision is referring to a time when the people who ignored the prophecies that were given are now looking back at the warnings they were given. You, in verse 2, it says, You that were full of shouting, a tumultuous city, a joyous town, your slain were not slain by the sword, neither were they dead in battle. We might ask, why have they died? They died from drug overdoses, suicide, and illnesses. Verse 3, all your rulers fled away together. They were bound by archers. All who were found by you were bound together. They fled far away. Our governors, our congressmen, and others were captured and taken away by the king of Assyria so they wouldn't cause trouble. Anciently, archers were sent to the battle first before the, hand to, before the combat began. Therefore, I said, look away from me, and I will weep bitterly. Don't labor to comfort me for the destruction of the daughter of my people. God is speaking to Isaiah here. He tells Isaiah to look away as God weeps bitterly. God tells Isaiah not to labor to comfort him. We see it is very hard on God to see his children going through this experience of being invaded and enslaved all the time, knowing it is necessary to humble them. All right, I'm going to save my comments for the end and let's keep reading. Verses 5 through 11. For it is a day of confusion. Oh boy. <laughs> Starting to sound real familiar. And of treading down and of perplexity from the Lord, Yahweh of armies, in the valley of vision. A breaking down of the walls and a crying on the mountains. Elam carried his quiver with chariots of men and horsemen. And Kerr uncovered the shield. Your choicest valleys will be full of chariots. And the horsemen set themselves in array at the gate. He took away the covering of Judah, and you looked in that day to the armor in the house of the forest. You saw the breaches of David's city, that they were many, and you broke down the houses to fortify the wall. You also made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but you didn't look to him who, was done, who had done this, neither did you have respect for him who purposed it long ago. In these verses, we are seeing a people who haven't turned their hearts back to God and feel they can overcome the invaders without God's help. This is evidenced in, but you didn't look to him who had done this, neither did you have respect for him who proposed it long ago. These are good people that believe in God, but didn't develop their relationship with God to hear his voice and completely trust in the things he told them to do. No matter where they look, the invading army of the king of Assyria is there. 
they tear down homes and anything they can possibly they possibly can to fortify themselves from this army. Many take up arms and fight against them, but as in the days of old, their efforts are fruitless without God on their side. Verses 12 through 14. In that day, the Lord, Yahweh of armies, called to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and to dressing in sackcloth. And behold, joy and gladness, killing cattle and killing sheep, eating meat and drinking wine. Let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Yahweh of armies revealed himself in my ears. Surely, for you this iniquity will not be forgiven you until you die, says the Lord, Yahweh of armies. In the time of looking back, the valley of vision, Yahweh of armies, the servant, feels he has lost his identity as he goes through deep mourning for his people. During this time of invasion, they come to they continue to ignore the prophecies and eat and drink as much as they can because they feel they are going to die anyway. Yahweh of armies whispers in Isaiah's ear, Surely for you this iniquity will not be forgiven until you die. Verses 15 through 19. Thus says the Lord, Yahweh of armies, Go, get yourself to this treasurer, even to Shebna, who is over the house, and say, What are you doing here? Who has you here, that you have dug out a tomb here? cutting himself out a tomb on high, chiseling a habitation for himself in the rock? Behold, Yahweh will overcome you and hurt you away, excuse me, hurl you away violently. Yes, he will grasp you firmly. He will surely wind you around and around and throw you like a ball into a large country. There you will die, and there the chariots of your glory will be, you shame of your Lord's house. I will thrust you from your office. You will be pulled down from your station. Shebna was an officer in the court of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good, righteous leader. Shebna had conspired with Assyria in the attack on Jerusalem. He thought that he would be safe and had a place within the new ruling authority as he made a safe dwelling on high to live in. Yahweh of armies tells Shebna that God will hurl him from his place where he will die among the invading army that he had felt an alliance with. This will bring on much shame to the Lord's house. The important thing for us to see in these verses is there will be someone who is working under one of our leaders who is secretly working to secure themselves a position within what they believe will be the new ruling government of the promised land. When this person is exposed, it will bring great shame upon the Lord's house. Let's go to verses 20 through 25. It will happen in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your government into his hand, and he will be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will lay the key of David's house on his shoulder. He will open, and no one will shut. He will shut, and no one will open. I will fasten him like a nail in a sure place. 
he will be for the a throne of glory to his father's house. They will hang on him the glory, all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, every small vessel, from the cups even to all the pitchers. In that day, says Yahweh of armies, the nail that was fastened in a sure place will give way. It will be cut down and fall. The burden that was on it will be cut off, for Yahweh has spoken it. We ask, when will this happen? It will happen when I call my servant, Halakim, the son of Hilakiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him in your belt, with your belt. The name Hilakiah literally means portion of Yahweh. Yahweh is based on the consonants YHWH, which is one of the names for God used in the Old Testament in ancient Hebrew. The vowels were not normally written. The name Elohim in Hebrew means God arises or resurrection of God. The inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah, I will lay the key of David's house on his shoulder and he will open and no one will shut. He will shut and no one will open. I will fasten him like a nail in a sure place. Christ has not come yet. This is the servant being set down, being sent to part with priesthood keys to establish a government as a cornerstone before the Savior returns. I will fasten him like a nail in a sure place. Like a nail in a sure place indicates there is no going back or change of mind at this point. He is to be the anchor to establish the kingdom of God here upon the earth so the Savior can return. I will lay the key of David's house on his shoulder, and he will open and no one will shut. The key of David's house is referring to the priesthood King David held through the lineage of Aaron as a Levite. He will be for a throne of glory to his father's house, and they will hang on him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, every small vessel from the cups even to all the pitchers. Elohim will hang on him the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, every small vessel from the cups and the pitchers. This sentence indicates nothing is overlooked in giving him power to establish the kingdom of God here upon the earth. In that day, the nail that was fastened in a sure place will give way, and it will be cut down and fall. The burden that was on it will be cut off, for Yahweh has spoken it. Here we see Elohim decreeing that the old leadership of our time that we thought was immovable is removed. This new person, the servant, is given all the priesthood power and authority to set up this new kingdom of God here upon the earth for Christ to step up into with all of his glory to rule and reign. We are going to see the setting apart of the servant in other chapters from different viewpoints. So that concludes the verses in Isaiah chapter 22. Let me uh, point out some things or ask some questions or maybe make some comments, Sean, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, when it talks about the city in verses 1 through 4, a tumultuous city, a joyous town, is it referring to a town or to a country or to a state or an area within a country? I... I don't know for sure what that answer is. I that hasn't been revealed to me. I haven't fully seen it. 
okay, let me let me paint a scenario that I have read. I wish I could recall the source or sources because it's more than one place. But there are some uh, prophecies or visions from Latter-day Saints in days gone by that said that in Washington, D.C., that our leadership would flee that area, that there would be no uh, leadership there at a certain point in time. Uh, this talks about a, a joyous, tumultuous city where the rulers fled away together to a land far away, which I'm going to say there seems to be something being set up in Colorado, yeah. uh, away from Washington, D.C. I'm wondering if that is one possible interpretation of these verses. It could be. There's also a city in the Appalachians, uh, underground mountain there, in case of um, a sooner attack where they couldn't get away quite as easy. And that's quite an interesting uh, lot of videos surrounding that. Yeah, I've seen those videos. Who was that governor that uh, took people into those cave or in those uh, roads? There was an independent. Was he a former wrestler? Uh, very independent. Oh, is it from Michigan? Yeah, uh, I can't think of his name either. Was, have you seen his videos where they go underground and I haven't seen that. These, there's just tunnels upon tunnels and doors, and the area is oh, I should know the area too. The Ozarks. It was in yeah. you said Appalachian. He he went into the Ozarks, and he was narrating the tape, and they were going through these miles and miles of underground tunnels with lots of you know doors so it does appear that uh those who are rich and powerful with whatever money they're getting are you know preparing for catastrophic events to occur that's what it seems like i mean i i, I don't want to over speculate but uh really feel that at one time or another that they might um they're joining with the king of Assyria, so they might go over to Russia and sit on a, like a a big screen or something to try to coordinate the events as things get real ugly over here and, and see from afar off. Well, it does make sense that if there's going to be a ruler like the king of Assyria, whatever that represents, that it wouldn't be surprising that we would lose our leadership either by um, fleeing or by joining with the other side, which is another scenario that we see as we see compromises and secret deals being made, uh, access to the presidency of the United States, access to our institutions in exchange for whatever, money, power, wealth, prestige. We see a lot of things right now being uncovered or shattered from the rooftops, it seems. Uh, I wanted to go next, Sean, to verse verses 12 through 14, because these are similar to what we read in 2 Nephi 28, 7 through 9. And we, of course, we know that in the Book of Mormon, there's a lot of reference to the Book of Isaiah. I think a third of the Book of Isaiah is actually quoted in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. <clears throat> Here's what it says here. It says, yea, verse 7, yea, and there shall be many which shall say, so this is future, 
eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and it shall be well with us. Yea, this is verse 8, there shall, also be, shall, there shall also be many which shall say, eat, drink, and be merry. Nevertheless, fear God. He will justify in committing a little sin, yea, lie a little, take advantage of one because of his words, dig a pit for thy neighbor. There's no harm in this. And do all these things, for tomorrow we die. And if it so be that we are guilty, God will beat us with a few stripes, and at last we shall be saved in the kingdom of God. And then finally, verse 9, yea, there shall be many which shall teach after this manner false and vain and foolish doctrines, and shall be puffed up in their hearts, and shall seek deep to hide their counsels from the Lord, and their work shall be in the dark. So this sounds very much like uh, what we read about in verse 12, the attitude that it's okay, we can, you know, make merry and uh, take lightly the things that God has given us. Right. But the Lord is saying, for this iniquity uh, will not be forgiven you until you die. So that's that's uh, pretty poignant. All right. <clears throat> um, these verses at the very end, 20 through 25, Sean, it seems like the robe and the belt represent authority, right? The God giving someone uh, the robe. Um, would you agree with that symbolism? Yeah, like the robes of the priesthood, the robes of power. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if we were to go to Revelations, you see that uh, the the white robe given to many and the seer stone. So, you know, the robe off obviously indicates a different level of progression, a level of, you know, there it's very interesting. And then the last point I wanted to make uh, was that we just have to remember that we are going to establish Zion before the Savior comes. I can't say this enough. That is the whole reason for this podcast, is to remind ourselves we have a lot of work to do. And obviously the Lord is going to provide leadership to make this happen. And uh, the way in which he's going to do it is laid out in Scripture, both in the book of Isaiah. It's also laid out in the Savior's commentary on the book of Isaiah in 3 Nephi, in several chapters. Especially, I'd point to 3 Nephi chapter 20 and 3 Nephi chapter 21. It's very, very... Go ahead. Wasn't it just in uh, chapter 20 where we were going over the laws and statutes of God and how we'll reestablish those as in Adam's day to, you know, that we will have everything as in the beginning and they will be clear. These foundational stones will are solid and unwavering. These things will be given to us to reestablish the kingdom. There will be no wavering. Everything will be clear as we're given back the original laws and statutes to become close to God. Yes, I don't think there's going to be any room for uh, error or for confusion. It's, the Lord has got a plan, as you mentioned uh, a time or two in this podcast. These plans have been uh, mysteries, 
And a mystery just means that uh, it's not known yet. It doesn't mean it can't be known. As you read Alma 26, 22, which was my favorite missionary scripture when I was a missionary, uh, although I didn't pray constantly, like it said you needed to do to learn the mysteries of God, uh, it did say that, you know, people that pay the price to know will know. And, um, you know, this is something, again, we'll come back to over and over again. The Savior, through, either directly or through his prophets, is always saying, ask, seek, knock. And it'll be given to you. He didn't say how much effort it would take. Alma 26, 22 says, you got to pray constantly for certain answers. And we see this pattern in the book of Alma when he's counseling his sons, Alma the Younger, and talks about the resurrection. And he says, look, I've prayed earnestly to know about these things. And this is what I can tell you. This is what the Lord's told me. I, I don't know if he knew 100% of the picture, but he did know enough to say, these are teachings that I can tell you. The law of restoration, you know, that you're not restored from an imperfect state where you're in a sinful state to a state of not being a sinful person. That the same person you become in this life, you carry with you in the next life. And on and on. And these are very clear teachings because why? He said he prayed and prayed to know these things. So it's comforting to me to know that if I really want to know something, uh, that if you pay the price to know, you know, you can know. And I also liked what you said, that there are just things that we get told sometimes that we're not supposed to share. Yeah. And I don't know why people have a problem with that, but people do. Um, we go to the temple. There are certain things we just don't talk about. Brother Nibley said the reason for the temple and for that is because we have to learn how to keep a secret. The temple really? teaches us how to keep a secret. Now, we know that people have gone in and divulged secrets that were taught in the temple, but um, they they blew the test. The test is, can you learn things and learn to keep things to yourself? Uh, because there are just certain things that don't need to be said. And why? There's lots of reasons why the Lord will tell us things that we don't have to talk about. Sometimes it's just not time yet to say certain things. Or by revealing too much truth, it could be used or abused, or it can condemn somebody. No reason to harden someone's heart when they're still drinking the milk and not give them the meat. So, you know, people want to know everything and there's nothing else. There's nothing that needs to be ever hidden or, or kept, you know, um, see, uh, mist uh, kept a mystery from others. But that's simply not true. And unless we learn that lesson, we won't be told everything that we, we can learn. So some things are just given to us of the Lord for our own benefit and maybe right. the benefit of others. And we just got to be careful. Use discernment. I, I've gone through those experiences myself where I've seen and so much and I've uh, divulged things at times that I shouldn't have from my walk with the Savior and stuff. And I have come under condemnation from Heavenly Father for it. And, oh, I do not like that feeling. That is a heavy, heavy burden as I ask for forgiveness and, and seek repentance for giving it. And sometimes it is because if I say something out of turn or something where somebody doesn't have a foundational stone, it puts up a big wall in their learning and their growth. And uh, I don't want to have that burden upon me now that I understand that if I give too much, that it will hold up their learning because they will put up a wall in trying to get to this path and 
I want everybody to grow and become close to Heavenly Father, but it, it comes in stages. How do you, uh, I'm, I was going to ask you, how did you feel when you crossed that line and said too much? I was going to ask you that because I have also, you know, felt that feeling before. When you had it, what is it? How would you describe it? Um, like a heavy burden, like a heavy weight of, I've just, um, it's just in my mind, it, it is, it's heavy. Like I, I can tell that I've done something wrong afterwards and uh i feel like i've disappointed my heavenly father you know like i've disappointed somebody that i greatly greatly respect more so than anybody here on earth and i do respect my father more than anything else and to disappoint him by doing something wrong feels really bad and i i don't want to break that love that he has for me by doing something wrong so let me I haven't had a vision like you've had, but I know there's been times when I've said too much and I want to describe or, you know, said the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time in my anxiousness or whatever the motivation is. And one of the things that I feel it's, uh, well, let me describe the opposite. When you're supposed to talk to somebody about spiritual things, they will be edified by what you say and you will also be edified on the energy level that you share i don't know if it's a vibration or a spiritual whatever it is i don't know how to use have the words for it but you both walk away uplifted and enlightened right but if you talk about things that you've been told not to talk about in the spirit you're going to usually get a little signal and if you do it in the wrong time and place you're not going to feel edified. You're going to feel drained. You're going to feel the window close. Uh, when I, I a lot of times I'll refer to missionary experiences because they're touchstones to my own spiritual growth and learning some of these things. But uh, like while you've been talking today, I haven't really felt, except for now, particularly impressed to say anything, mm-hmm. right? But now as yeah. we're talking, I feel okay. I feel it's okay to talk about things. And so I then I start sharing or, or talking more. So as a missionary, I had some interesting experiences where I call it the green light. Uh, I can I can think of experiences where I didn't know what to say to an investigator, which they call friends now, who are looking into the church, church's uh, uh, history, the church's um uh, restored truths in the gospel of jesus christ we believe are restored such as you know baptism by immersion such as uh baptizing children at the age of accountability when they when they're not maybe infants but when they attain an older age and can tell right from wrong like around the age of eight and other other things that have been restored uh but there were times when I and I I, I can't and this is a, a lot of them probably on one hand I could count them but the first time it happened I could really talk in the foreign language that I was learning which was Italian and I remember getting the green light to to bear my testimony and you know it worked even though I didn't have the words uh, I was able to convey what was in my heart and I know they they were affected by it. 
and so it's those moments when we're moved upon by the Holy Ghost that we can, you know, share things and uh, and I'm not even sure why I'm even talking about this because this podcast is not really <laughs> maybe about this topic except that we talk about mysteries, so maybe yes. that's why. Um, but Joseph Smith, today we were in church. It's kind of a weird Sunday school class today. Not a lot of comments. How often have you ever been to a Sunday school class and you get out 20 minutes early? I mean, that's, <laughs> it just wasn't a lot of participation. I could tell that the teacher was either not well prepared, didn't ask great questions. And frankly, the class, including myself, had not been very prepared for the lesson today. Um, on other occasions, though, you know, we come to class and we're prepared to talk about spiritual things. Um, so, you know, once in a while, I kind of lost my train of thought, but once in a while, we can hit the wall like that. And, uh, you know, preparation is important to receiving direction and and understanding uh, the Lord's truths. And, and some things are supposed to be kept locked away. Uh, as a mystery until we're mature enough to understand it. And how many times have we gone to a, a class and not understood or heard a principle taught, but then it's like at some point in our future, then suddenly the idea hits us. We've heard it talked about a thousand times, but there was that one moment when, oh, this is for me. Finally, the principle is sinking in and boom, you know, we get that illumination. For me, that was um, 14 years old. I heard a talk at our district conference. We were out in the mission field, and it was during the priesthood session for us men early, in those days did early. And um, they were talking about the stories about guardian angels and the power of the Aaronic priesthood had to call upon the guardian angels. And a Boy Scout troop where a young man had broken his leg, and they were trying to figure out ways to get him out safely. Well, like so many leaders, I'm sure that my leaders over me thought that I really wasn't listening. And I may not have been so much, but I got into a situation two years later or a year later where uh, I was a pickup had been stolen from us and we were trying to tow it back because the fellow had blown the motor and we're coming through Wind River Canyon in Wyoming. And I'm on the end of a 20-foot tow rope and the pickup that I'm I'm in the tow pick in the behind dad and uh and it's so dark and I can't see as we go around these turns and everything. And at that age I thought surely that tow strap could break, you know, because we didn't do it very good. It could break easily. And how would I see the turns ahead of me? I have no light, no nothing. I've got power brakes and power steering, so it's very hard to turn. And I'm only you know, twenty-five feet behind dad. And I was so scared as we went through that windy canyon. And I remembered that talk in that priesthood session there in Glendive, Montana, about the calling upon the ministering angels that I had the power in the Aaronic priesthood to do that. And I called upon them. And for the rest of that drive, the I knew there was somebody in the seat beside me and all I felt worthy to do was to hum 
and sing every hymn that I could remember. <laughs> and I just, tears were in my eyes the whole time because of how the presence that I could feel in that passenger seat with me, safeguarding me. And, you know, it was just that highlighted moment from that lesson that others around me may not have thought I was really listening to. Reminds me of uh, Alma the Younger when he has seen the angel and he's in darkness for, I guess, three days or part of three days. And he remembers his father speaking of Christ. And so then he called upon Christ and that turned his situation around. Those Recalling those words, uh, I remembered why I brought up Sunday school, Sean. It was because today, because one of the questions he asked, it didn't get a lot of play, a lot of comments, but it made me think a lot was, you know, how do you learn to follow the spirit? How do we, how do we learn? How do we know when the Lord is speaking to us, how do we learn to follow? And there's, there are probably listeners who aren't sure how to do that. Uh, So was that your first time learning how to, well, it sounds like you got an impression, the impression sunk in, and then you followed through with the prayer, and then there was a result, correct? Correct, yeah. Was that the first time that you uh, had probably, an impression of follow the Spirit and, and, and understood what was going on, the process? It was, I'd had maybe some, some settlements before, but this one was so powerful and so undeniable that I had learned little things before, and then... It just really unfolded in this big way because of the faith, I guess, I had developed from little teeny things before. So my advice to people say, how do I follow the Spirit? How do I have, you know, the Lord speak to me? um, Ask. Ask for the Lord to guide you. Uh, It could be a simple thing. Lord, I don't know how to, I don't know your voice. I think the Lord loves people who start at ground zero. He doesn't have any problem with that. Lord, I know you exist. I I believe you, or I want to believe in you. Can you please help me learn how to hear your voice and follow it? I I really believe people will get impressions. I think they're, as I understand it, Sean, the angels are like they are biting at the bit yes. to teach people to pray and to follow the Spirit. It is not stingily given. It isn't, it isn't condescendingly, oh, well, you know, you're nobody. No, they cannot operate in this earth plane, and the plan of God cannot operate except generally through his, his people. And so they're anxious for us to have that prayer. Some people call, you know, the sinner's prayer, that moment when you really can humble our, yourself to call upon the Lord. But it is a process. But Joseph Smith said that he talked about it in terms of the gift of prophecy. He said, if you get an idea in your mind about something occurring in the future, I'm going to butcher the, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but I'm going to be close to the spirit and intent. And you find that the thing that you thought about came to pass or occurred the same day or soon, then you will know that the spirit of prophecy is beginning to work inside of you. And if you'll pay attention to it, you can develop the gift of the spirit of prophecy. 
And of course, that's the same with following impressions. And it 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 was line upon line, little impressions. I remember a talk by Boyd K. Packer talked about how when he was flying an airplane during World War II, they had these radios, and you I guess I don't know if he was a flyer or not, but he was in the Air Force and he was talking about that process of there's this static and it's noisy, a lot going on on those radio bands early on. And you'd have to tune in and listen carefully to through the noise to hear that voice of the control tower or a pilot, whoever they were listening to. And you had to learn to hear it. I think it was a great analogy for the spirit, but, um, and listening to it, learning that voice. I, I want to say in the strongest terms that God is interested in us learning that. They are anxious because there's so much work to be done. And I think each one of us is here for a divine purpose, some piece of the puzzle that we're going to play for our uh, some fulfillment of promises made to our forefathers and promises made to our uh, those who will follow us. And as we all collectively get together to and follow the Spirit, we unleash this power, just like this uh, servant, Eliakim, once he gets the robe on and the belt, he can open and shut and no one can stop him. Yeah. This is the same as Enoch. This yeah. is exactly what Enoch was doing too. I mean, I think Enoch is the prototype of this servant in the last days because when the Lord needs to get his work done, it gets done. And it's very clear in 3rd Nephi chapter 20 and 21, chapters 20 and 21, that there's a plan. And Isn't it yeah. interesting how Enoch Moses could not speak very well, and they were did were not good with words. Like with Enoch, they told, the Lord told him, just open your mouth and I will fill it. You know, and how Moses was given Aaron to help him and things, but they were not men of great words or great um, speaking with people, eloquent speaking or anything. But that's who the Lord uses. Yes, I think part of that, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe part of that is to let them know that it's not them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If If you're a great orator, and you can, and you're the Lord's prophet, you might, you know, you might forget who's behind it. And yeah. so it's not a bad thing. Uh, didn't, don't we have examples of other prophets? Why did you pick me, Lord? Yeah. Because I don't want anybody thinking that uh, it's you. <laughs> um, this is, this is the reason why Moses got in trouble the one time, right? <laughs> And he blamed the children of Israel. The Lord said, go over to that rock and call out, call on the rock and the water will rush forth. <laughs> and then someone said, because this is what he, Moses said later, was uh, the waters of, anyway, at the waters, uh, he tapped it with a his staff and the water came out. Yeah. He was tempted by the others to tap the rock. Don't just call it that. Got to tap it. And he did. And the Lord said, hey, you just crossed the line. 
<laughs> I was trying to show them that you're speaking the word of the Lord and that is enough. But when you mm -hmm. tapped it, you took the credit. And guess what? Here's the penalty. The land of Canaan that we're all going to go to, you're not going. You're going to stay outside <laughs> of it. So, you know, Moses, one time, just one time, uh, you know, didn't give God the credit. And he, he said he was tempted by the others to do that. And I take him at his word. So, so you know, the Lord, the Lord, look, look historically, uh, who has he chosen to serve him and to be in great positions of leadership throughout history? Well, let's just look to Jesus Christ. Born in a manger on the outskirts of a little town, Bethlehem. You can't get much more humble of a birth than that. And that's why people miss the mark, because this is not what we expect of a king. We expect the king to be, you know, born into uh, uh, into the, the king's house, right? I mean, born the right lineage, the right, of course, he had, had the right lineage. That was kind of hidden. But the other factors, and John the Baptist, who oh, yeah. Jesus said was the greatest, there's no not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. And he's yeah. out there eating locusts. And honey, and apparently his father was killed <clears throat> between the, the wall and the altar, or uh, between the, um, he was killed in the Holy of Holies, apparently, because he wouldn't give up certain information. Uh, anyway, you've got these humble, humble people. Joseph, you know, Emma said he couldn't complete a sentence, and, you know, as a young man had bone marrow you know, infection in the bone marrow and had to lay in bed for all those times and walked with a limp and couldn't, Emma said he couldn't hardly complete a sentence there. And and yet look at all the scripture that we got from him. And Alma the Younger was, I mean, who would in our day would accept Alma the Younger as a prophet after all the things that he did? I mean, could we today open our hearts to accept him as a prophet? No, I don't. I think, I think it would take you know, a real testimony to accept a renegade like Alma the Younger. Um, I think we believe in repentance, but yeah, that would take a lot of faith. And Joseph, yeah, yeah. There's not a better witness of the restoration than his wife, Emma, when she says, uh, <laughs> "What you, you just said it. Uh, no, Joseph couldn't have done this. I, I was married to him. He didn't have He didn't have this ability at all. And it's interesting to watch people who refused to consider that he was led by the hand of God and to yeah. try and explain it. It's tough. I mean, there are so many scholars who don't have, you know, a, a foundation or used to have foundation and lost the foundation of believing Joseph Smith was called of God or could do a divine work. It's quite yeah. amazing uh, to try and see how they will give everybody else credit except where credit is due. It, it is one of the reasons, you know, the Lord says what are the weak things, you know, comes, yeah. the, comes the strong, and they confound the wise. And again, I say, go to go, go to 3 Nephi chapter 21. When, yeah. the, when the work of the Father begins and the servant uh -huh. is there, you know, this is, this is the classic situation. You have to only rely upon the Spirit to make those discernment choices. And, uh, you know, it's very, very, very hard 
to just say Joseph had native intelligence and that's why he could pull it off. Joseph, you might uh, you might recall, Sean, and our listeners might not know this story very well, that there were brethren who were a lot smarter than Joseph who became yeah. converts. In fact, uh, Charles Dickens one time said as he watched these people leave uh, England, he didn't call them, they, they weren't the peasants coming over or the peasants only. He said the flower of England was responding to the call of the restoration. And uh, you can't make sense of it. So they come over here, these educated, well-spoken British converts, other people, uh, preachers from Canada, preachers from all over, uh, such as um, Sidney Rigdon and others, very capable people. And at one point, Joseph said, okay, you think this is so easy to do? I think it was Revelation that he and see. I'm too yeah. lazy to look it up right now. But they, he said, go ahead. The Lord said, write one revelation like, <laughs> like, like I call upon Joseph to do. Go ahead and try it. Um, Nobody could produce anything at all like it. And another example, which has come out in recent years, was the Council of 50. When Joseph said, look, you, we need to have a constitution for this uh entity we're going to set up the kingdom of god they called it was not the church today we use the terms in a way synonymously but at that time in 1844 they were going to go out and set up this kingdom anyway he said go ahead and write the constitution y'all put your heads together and y'all write it up these, these are the best of the best the best of the top leaders in the church got together to try to write a constitution and they spent you know quite some time and joseph says i'll judge whether you did a good job or not <laughs> and uh, they tried. Boy, did they try. And uh, Joseph came along and, well, it's another story, but he did, He just said, basically, Behold, the saith the Lord, ye are my constitution. The the men, the, the men and women, the church, people with the spirit. It was an interesting uh, exercise, though, to watch them and you know they're look i can just see him looking over his shoulder is this okay joseph is this okay we doing uh you know we just sometimes we take people and things for granted who, who are gifted um i was thinking of an example today of uh well i was thinking of this is off track but it's it's a similar thing um the beach boys were a, were a really fun group in the 60s right everybody knows who they are I was listening to a little clip that popped up today that said that Paul McCartney and others think that um, the greatest song ever written in rock and roll was Brian Wilson's uh, God Only Knows, you know, what <laughs> I'd be without you. Uh, Paul McCartney, who's written Yesterday and Hey Jude and some of the greatest songs ever in, in uh, music history, uh, one of the greatest songwriters, uh, said that song makes him cry and he had wow. a chance to sing it with brian wilson on one occasion in a live uh concert and he said he was in the practicing session he was just all choked up the 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 beach boys were nothing without brian wilson he i don't know if anybody wrote anything any music or compositions in that group they were performers okay and he could hear it in his head and you know that that album, the famous album Pet Sounds, 
uh, the song Good Vibrations and the stuff he heard and could do. But without Brian Wilson, you know, the Beach Boys would have been, they would have been nothing because they didn't have any material. Yeah. And, and I think once the group broke broke up and maybe with the, well, with the benefit of hindsight, they probably didn't realize what they had until, you know, he had his drug issues and the group broke apart, uh, et cetera. But my point with that is I don't think the church realized. I think they took Joseph Smith for granted. I think we've all well, taken him for granted until he was gone. And then people people did appreciate him to some extent, but man, that that hole that was left, despite the fact we had great leadership following those that time, his ability to be a seer and to exercise the keys the way he did, we haven't seen the likes of them. You can count them on one hand in the scriptures. Yeah, uh, I believe that had that level of capacity, right? You have right. Mosiah, you have Joseph Smith, you have, uh, I don't know, Moses. Enoch. Abraham and Jacob were truly tremendous when you start digging in there so much. So maybe two hands. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, the number of people who had the seat, who, who had the seat, the, the, the seer, prophet, seer, revelator. Um, each one of those has a specific meaning, I believe. I've heard it. I'll throw it out there tonight uh, for people to think about. I think prophets, prophets can prophesy. Uh, Revelation 19 says a testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the prophetic gift is not one that is uh, exclusive to one person. A, uh, a revelator, I believe that's the person who can reveal or explain uh, scriptures, explain yeah. what things mean. I think that's what we're trying to do here is trying to explain yeah. uh, or reveal meanings of things in the book of Revelation. And then a seer. And a seer is, as it says in the book of Mosiah, is the greatest of all. Yeah, You've got Mosiah, who's translating uh, the 23 or 24 plates of gold that they found among the Jaredite ruins. And uh, could do it and and joseph as well whether he used the seer stone or whether he used here and thummim or use them both of them or could later just do it through his mental focus because he learned um well the doctor and covenants is a great job i mean many times we see him in the doctor and covenants starting out in one direction and then he just opens up into a vision and he just goes and goes and goes and um it's wonderful to see him kind of start in one direction and then all of a sudden you can see him overcome with the spirit and he just goes. Yes, that is so true. There's one of his writings that you can see him talking about things from a spiritual knowledge, but then he shifts into thus saith the Lord mode. Sometime we'll talk about that. You can yeah. see the shift in the writing uh, when it happens. Uh, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, so yeah, these these people. Uh, well, what do we say? Prophets. What did Jesus say? Prophets are not accepted in their own country. They're not accepted at the time that they are, you know, with us because even, they tell us things that are not what we want to hear. Uh, even Jesus says, "Was it in Luke that I could perform no miracles among my family or anything?" They didn't believe. His family didn't believe him. No, in the book of John, his brothers said, "You know, once you go to Jerusalem, you got nothing to hide. Go ahead, prove yourself." Capernaum. It's not my turn. Not my yeah. And Capernaum, uh, the locals wanted to 
wanted to throw him over the cliff. Yeah. So, so we, um, it's so important, so important. President Nelson keeps talking about the need to have the spirit. And uh, it's been, it's been emphasized a lot since even before him, but we're getting in the crunch. This is crunch time right now. I, would, I mean, it's it's not even it's not even questionable uh, that we're in a crunch time. We're in a time when everything we've come to know that is, uh, say everything. That's a big word. A lot of the norms by which our society has functioned for decades, scores of years, and maybe even a couple of centuries is being turned up, up, up upended, and reversed. Uh, the scriptures say calling evil good and good evil. We just see it so obvious and things are being exposed at an alarming rate that are not being brought up. You got to dig. And uh, this is crunch time. This is, this is the time that the Lord is warning us about. And it is a direct result of increasing wickedness and, or you want to say a different word, not obeying the, the Lord's uh, principles. You know, like we started out in the beginning of this chapter, that they're talking about mysteries. There are so many mysteries left in this, in the chapters of Isaiah, and I just want you to encourage you to pray and dig those out and find them for yourself. You may not be able to share them when you get them, but don't wait to feel that prompting of the Spirit till a life-or-death situation start early and by reading these scriptures and praying about what they mean to you and how they affect you in your life. And uh, that will prepare you for the days ahead. Well, thanks Sean for your efforts to uh, help us with your understanding of the book of Isaiah. It certainly triggers a lot of feelings and thoughts for me. I hope it is doing the same for our audience. I know we've been getting some very good feedback um, because frankly, the book of Isaiah is is a daunting task, but one the Lord has instructed us to study. And so we're providing a forum to uh, gain a deeper understanding, especially as it applies to us today. So thanks again for your efforts. Thank you, Craig, for having me. This has been Vision of Zion. Thanks for listening.